Hi folks, I'm Duncan Gill, child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I'm Victoria Lee, licensed clinical mental health counselor, and welcome to Is There a Med for That? The podcast about teen mental health and behavioral problems and what to do about them. Victoria and I have been working for uh, years together with kids. Sometimes we use therapy, sometimes medication, sometimes we give some guidance to parents. And sometimes kids just need to be left alone. We don't have all the answers, but we probably have some of them. We'll do our best to share what we've learned over the years working with struggling kids and their families. We hope you enjoy the show, and we can be helpful to those who have taken on the hardest job in the world, being a parent. I think we're, it's getting better and better. We're sort of working on our shtick. Ready How about, go? I think I'm ready to go. I thought uh, maybe we'd talk about social anxiety today. What do you think? I feel a little anxious about it, but I'm ready to go. <laughs> That's something we see a lot. I was just thinking about the intakes we have, and a lot of the kids sit down and say they hate people. Remember that? Yeah, that they hate people in general. Yeah. Well, they usually say they're coming to the program and they're anxious anyways. I see. Yeah. And then their excuse for not wanting to come is they hate people. Don't like people. They don't want to be around other kids. They'll say that at school, too. I hate people. I don't want to go to school. And I think I hate people is code for I'm nervous about being around people. Or even like when they sit down with us, they often don't want to be there initially. No, we make them anxious. that's their anxiety. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, we get a lot of kids in our program with social anxiety, we've, I've had questions from other parents about it. Uh, social anxiety uh, makes kids not want to go to school. It makes kids avoid things. Being anxious makes you want to avoid things. So um, thought uh, maybe we'd start by talking about what it is, what anxiety is, and then um, what it looks like and what we might do about it. Great. Sound good? Love it. Great. Do you want to talk a little bit about from your perspective with medication or... Like where do you, like as a doctor, I'm glad we're actually picking this topic because I think the skills I bring to work with a kid who has anxiety is very different than maybe even your initial approach to it. And so maybe it's a good um, topic for us to highlight the, how you and I work together and how medication and non-medication treatment can work in synergy together or eat one or the other if clients are willing to do the med piece but not the group piece or the group piece and and uh, not the med piece exactly that's actually why i chose the topic i thought it would highlight our collaborative efforts ability ability capabilities capabilities so our I, superhuman strength i heard this i thought uh, uh, interesting language sort of differentiation between fear and anxiety, mm. where fear is the experience of being, um, I don't know where this came from, but fear is the experience of being chased by a tiger, not wanting to be eaten. And then anxiety is more feeling like you're being chased by a tiger mm-hmm. and not wanting to be eaten, but there's really no tiger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anxiety is more this free-floating sense of dread about something bad happening. Usually people are aware of the fact that nothing really horrible is going to happen, but sometimes they're not. Yeah, the alarm system, right, in our brain. Anxiety is the alarm system that goes off. And if the the fear actually arises, so we think of a threat. There's a potential threat, the alarm system that goes off, and maybe there is no threat, but oftentimes there is, and then that there's the fear that gets activated if it actually comes to manifest in our life, like the lion or the group of people looking tiger. at Tiger. It was a tiger. Bear. Was it? <laughs> I can't even keep my animals straight. 
Uh, in any event, uh, where does anxiety come from? Anxiety can look like a lot of things. Talking mostly about kids, adults kind of wanting to avoid being in social situations. Sometimes they do it for very good reason, right? I mean, we talk about school and the environment and how that can be a real difficult, sometimes nasty place for kids. And uh, sometimes it's, it's more fear than anxiety, right? It's um, worry that uh, people are going to mistreat you, which certainly happens at school. Yeah, and... I've, I like that you said you didn't know where it came from, like when you're talking about fear or anxiety, because I don't know where a lot of my stuff comes from either. But someone at one point differentiated um, this idea that anxiety is about preventing injury from happening. So it can safeguard us when we're anxious because it's going to prevent us from putting ourselves in a situation where something bad's going to happen. But then what can happen is that it can lead to us avoiding a lot of life and then missing out on the good. So we might actually have less pain in our life to some degree if we go along with our anxiety, but then it gets to a tipping point where maybe that anxiety is actually hurting you more than it is helping you. Because anxiety is a you know, part of that alarm system that's there for really good reason. As you know, part it's of protective. our survival. Yeah, protective, yeah. our survival system. So part of it is absolutely, you know, everybody's anxious about some things and it is protective. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Are you allowed to do that on air? I tried to cough off the side. I think Jasmine <laughs> can edit it out. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, where was I? Anxiety. Right. So, so some of it's absolutely natural. Some of it is that alarm system sort of uh, hyperactive to begin with, and that can be very much a genetic thing. Mm -hmm. So you often find um, people predisposed to anxiety, and um, if mom's anxious, kids more, more likely to be anxious. That's sometimes just for genetic reasons. The biological piece. This is the biological piece. This is the part where I actually might get to talk about meds for the first time in this podcast. Yay. I'm sort of excited. Yeah, me too. Um, but there are different kinds of uh, things which can cause anxiety, even from a biological point of view. Uh, sometimes anxiety is a sort of manifestation or side effect of depression. Mm -hmm. Sometimes bipolar disorder can look a lot like anxiety um, or cause anxiety. So I actually don't talk so much about anxiety disorders or uh, GAD, generalized anxiety disorder. I usually see it as a um, symptom of mood things, depression or um, uh, bipolar disorder or uh, just genetics, really. But um, it's really much more of a symptom than a disorder. So I don't like particularly lumping, uh, calling somebody who's anxious, saying they have a disorder. Hmm. I like to think of it as our instincts run amok in some way, the anxiety, right? That alarm system that's just been, it's overtaking the individual to a certain degree when, especially when there's that genetic piece, right? When they're predisposed to be more anxious than the average person. And I think that's when the med piece can be most helpful, right? When you have a kiddo who comes in, who's very just anxious constitutionally or biologically. So what, what's your first step when a kid comes in that, we see and we can tell right off the bat that this is more biological. It looks, it looks like it's on overdrive. Um, sometimes it's as much as, uh, it's just, it's, you know, sort of double what it should be. And kids are usually aware that it's way out of proportion. Um, sometimes it, it's pretty significant, so it can result in kids like throwing up before school. Um, usually there's a family history, so mom's really anxious. Um, or, I don't mean to pick on moms, it could be dad too, 
Um, usually dad. <laughs> Just kidding. It's usually dad. Give it back to him a it's little usually bit. Dad. Mom's usually absolutely normal or better than normal, <laughs> super normal. Um, oh, uh, sometimes it's really obvious they're anxious, and a lot of times they are, um, oh, mom or dad has an alcohol or substance use problem. It's a way of treating their anxiety. So, anyways, there's a med for this. <laughs> I've been waiting to say this for a long time. So there's a med for this. Actually, there are multiple meds for this, but um, meds can be super helpful for kids who are paralyzed by it. And with any med, you're looking for risk benefit. So um, meds can certainly help. They can have side effects. The question is how much a kid's going to suffer without the medicine. And if it really impairs their sort of development, keeps them from forming relationships, keeps them from doing things that are important for their growth, um, it's worth thinking about meds. And use different meds for different occasions. Um, a lot of docs will use antidepressants, SSRIs, or um, different kinds of antidepressants to treat it. That sometimes works. Uh, I sometimes use mood stabilizers too. Um, really depends on the cause of the anxiety, but there's not just sort of a single med. There sort of can be multiple med approaches. But sometimes um, it can be like magic for some kids and make a huge difference. And then they're left just sort of dealing with normal anxiety. Or they've developed habits over the years which they have to undo yeah. when they're finally have, I mean, I'm thinking of a couple of kids right now in the program, uh, which they have to undo over time. Um, I thought maybe Vicki, you could talk a little bit about non-pharmacological approaches to kids who are too anxious to hang out with other kids or yeah. be social. Definitely. And sometimes kids who can benefit from medication aren't ready to try meds either, or parents are a little bit anxious about them taking the meds and don't want to go down that road right away. So we're always happy to start wherever the patient or client, um, the individual wants to start. Duncan will always give his honest opinion about medication, which I always appreciate, but then it's left up to them to decide where they want to begin. And jumping in with working on anxiety, um, I always feel like I'm kind of the downer in this sort of like, <laughs> you have this like nice little yeah, box a of amends, right? <laughs> so a lot of what I find the, it's tough work when you're dealing with anxiety because anxiety, what I see a lot, anxiety leads people to avoid things. Yes. And then the challenging piece is a lot of, there's a seed of truth in almost everything someone is anxious about, whether it's death, the whole group of kids at school laughing at you, falling on your face as you're walking through the cafeteria, having nowhere to sit and be left, in, left all alone, right? And so there's that seed of truth. And part of the work I like to do with clients is help them really look at that truth in the face, right? It can, and, you know, like, see, this is where I'm the ray of sunshine. Let's sit down and, like, look at what really terrifies you. Let's, like, <laughs> spend some time with it. And it can sound silly, but it's, I think, what happens if we avoid what we're most afraid of, it actually gets bigger often in our subconscious or on our unconscious, and it and we're training ourselves to believe that we can't face it. So even though it's counterintuitive, because anxiety often wants to make us run from something, what's most helpful is often exploring it more, really thinking it through and facing what the fear is. Uh, and very well, it could be like, there are a lot of things people have anxiety about. I was thinking about our podcast driving in today, and I remember like my, as a, a new parent, one of my biggest anxieties that comes up for me is, I remember looking at my son, he must've been two days old. And it was the first time he had this look of just genuine 
horror, like upset. He was so, he was a very happy baby the first two days, right? But I looked at him, he was wicked upset, like legitimate, just so upset. And this huge wave of anxiety just hit me. And it, because what I, in that moment, I'm kind of, I have like a little existential leaning, I think in me, but I was, it dawned in me that this beautiful little baby someday is going to die. That by bringing him to, to life, <clears throat> you know, like sets in motion all these things and eventually he's going to die. And I remember I had this real existential anxiety about my kids having to suffer and die in life. And this totally just got wicked serious in a way. (laughs) But but these little anxieties that come up as parents. um, And so how do we face, how do we face these things? Part of us, I think we don't want to look at it. But in that moment, right, like looking and sitting with that truth, And maybe we do want to run and avoid that. But I think it's really important that if we want to, because that's reality, right? He is like, that's, that's a terror we cannot face. Right. And often there's some people who believe that at the, the seat of all neuroses or disorders is the fear of death, Mm. right? Our own fear of our own mortality. Right. Right. Then talk about anxiety, right? Thanatos, I think it's called. Is that a Freudian term? Oh God, I hope I I didn't just mess that up. No, no, you're doing great. I think it's Thanatos. Yeah. Opposite of libido, right? Right. Yep. Um, Jasmine's nodding. She's great. She's perfect for our. our Even if we're wrong, she's nodding. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so looking at this terror, right? And sitting with it. And maybe we don't go there right away with clients. We can slowly start to look at that truth and, and expand on, okay, what are you afraid of? And think it through. And humans can live through very horrible things and still survive. And sometimes we have to find that courage and strength within ourselves, even if it's not in the moment that we're faced with it, but even just the courage and strength to think it through. You have a great term, I think you've used before, which is to, to right size things. Yeah. To help kids and families understand that how big or how small a problem really is, or how big or small a risk is, like going to school or walking out of the house. Um, one thing is, I think you don't want to sit with a problem too long and just get stuck in the problem. So learning to right size it, I think, and get a sense of proportion, but then it's really a question of just doing what makes you anxious, which is most likely to make you unanxious and parents get in the way of that because once kids get anxious, parents often get anxious and then they'll try to protect their kids from doing what makes them anxious. Right. Or they try to jump in and take control right. and force them to do things. And then it the child doesn't have choice in that. And so they're not getting more courageous. Their parent is just the one who's forcing them to do something. So I find that that can be counter to the child's growth in terms of confronting their anxiety. It has to, it has to be a voluntary exploration of the things that terrify you. That's right. And we talked a little bit about how parenting has swung over the years. And now there's, I think, an increasingly sort of protective view of parenting, which protects kids, you know, as you were saying, as you were saying of trying to protect them from all the harm in the world yeah. and ultimately, you know, protect them from death, which yeah. is not realistic. Um, but in protecting them, you sort of push off that need to learn how to deal with anxiety. And then they become young adults and suddenly have to fit, you know, they can be avoidant right. uh, as adults. So that's one risk. Yeah. Cause our anxiety as a parent, I think can, it's important if we keep that right sized because otherwise 
it can often, our kids pick up on it. Right. Right. And that they should be anxious about these things. Right. And it's okay to feel your anxiety, embrace your anxiety, but guide your behaviors. Right. Still maybe allowing your kid to, you know, climb on some big rock that maybe gives you some anxiety, like when they're young. Right. But letting them take those risks and, you know, if they fall from, you know, reasonable height, they would maybe just get a little hurt and that's okay. You don't want to like let them go to the top of a mountain by themselves, but within reason, letting them take those risks is really important so that they, our anxieties don't get passed down. And then they gain confidence and are more likely to do, to to really take other risks in life. Um, Theoretically, we're talking more social, but this is true of anxiety of all kinds. Um, You just sort of do what makes you anxious. Yeah, when you think about social anxiety, you know, what is the, if you ask yourself, what is the real kernel in there? That right. terrifying kernel is that we are going to be cast out. Rejected. Rejection. Yep. Abandoned. Right. And so I think following, there can be this piece of right sizing it, but then there's this piece of walking through and not avoiding that real deep fear. Right. And doing both, balancing both and clinical work together is really important. And parents can help their kids do this too. It doesn't yep. have to be a therapist that sits down with your kiddo and talks about life. But this is maybe where a big piece of the parenting stuff comes in is that you have to be someone that your kid is willing to grant influence to. And that comes back to your relationship. So your kid's not going to sit down and talk with you about a lot of this stuff if you don't have a good relationship. Right. Even, and, even if you do, they might not. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes they want to talk to other adults, right? right. Especially teenagers, because they're going through the um, what we call individuation, where they're starting to separate a little bit from their parents psychologically to figure out, well, who am I in the world? It's a healthy thing that they want some space from their parents as teenagers. They're trying to start their own adult identity in the world, and they need space often to do that. But if your kids will talk with you about things, and maybe even just a little bit starting there and helping them explore their anxiety more, um, helping them right-size it. Yeah, and in the words of Nike, just do it. Just do it. Right? It's a good slogan for anxiety. But again, at the same time, right-sizing it can help you. Right? You don't want your kid to have no anxiety because that would be a different disorder right. to some degree. Right. Maybe we're talking about like antisocial personality disorder. No. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 absolutely. I think they're known for being not anxious yeah um but yeah that's that's not good either and because i really feel the need to get back to the meds i'm not sure i've yeah. talked about them enough please but enlighten us <laughs> i was patronizing no i don't mean it <laughs> i don't mean it that way <laughs> no it really wasn't um but w- what we can do is we can go through this process of of just trying to push through anxiety and uh counsel them as parents and therapists and in groups to push through it, and sometimes it's not quite enough. And there's a biological piece, there's a genetics that is getting more in the way. And maybe it's conquerable as a kid gets older, but in the meantime, uh, maybe preventing them from doing a lot of things which are important important to growth. So that's when we might look at meds again. We'll often start with, with nothing and see how things go. And then very often, uh, the groups and parent work and working with the kids enough. And sometimes it's not, in which case, you know, we might look at adding one of my favorite medicines yeah so anyways um that's everything you need to know about anxiety or at least a little tiny bit of it at least (laughs) for for today today. so i think it went okay victoria what do you think it's a good start it's a good start anyways uh thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next episode see you next episode enjoy your kids